Amen. It's good to see you tonight. Pray the Lord will bless you for being here as we worship the Lord. It's our more informal time, as Brother Tommy mentioned, our way of just kind of being able to be our family and ourselves. But I know we have guests with us tonight, so you just make yourself at home. And this is our time to worship the Lord and close this day out as we began it and worship. And uh, I, I like to think of it as a free will offering to the Lord. You know, it, not every church is doing Sunday night, but this is our opportunity to, to uh, just simply say to the Lord, we, we love you enough, we're going to come again. And uh, let our neighbors and friends know that uh, uh, what a powerful witness it is. We want to be with Jesus. We want to worship him. So it's good for you to be here tonight. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me as we continue to look at Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 3. Uh, you remember now by this time, for many of you who've been with us, we've been looking at the fact that this is a church that's both a marvel and a mess. Most churches are, are that. A lot of churches are both a marvel and a mess. A marvel that the Lord would love them, inspire themselves, and call them into existence, and a mess because we're people, and there's no perfect church, amen? Uh, if, if it were, then you wouldn't have had me as your pastor because I'm not perfect, and I'd have messed it up for sure. So it's a good thing that uh, the Lord loves us in spite of that, and, and of course Paul is talking about the divisions that they had in the church. Uh, in fact, in verse 12, we're going to continue that thought in just a moment where uh, many of them were identifying themselves as following Paul or following Apollos or following somebody else, and and uh, then, of course, there was a jealousy and there was dissension. And, of course, as we saw last time, the Apostle Paul ultimately attributes this to the fact that they're not centered themselves on the cross and not centered themselves on the wisdom of God, but rather they're centered themselves on carnality, on what they want, uh, the fleshly desires that uh, are contrary to the Spirit, as we saw uh, last time in the early part of chapter 3. Which then brings us to the point where Paul is talking about the church being God. So, you know, there's different ways we can look at the church. For example, the, the letter that John writes to the churches in 1 John, he describes the church as a family. And indeed, the church is a family of God. We are the children of God. Uh, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We, are, we have been brought into the family of God, and we are a family of believers. And I think that's the most correct way to look at the church in terms of relationships, in terms of who we are and what we are together in Jesus. But a lot of people view the church as an institution. They look at the church as, as an entity within society, and, and so they have a more distant view of the church. And unfortunately, this is what causes people to talk in ways that otherwise would not be normal for us to talk about our own families. Uh, they talk about going to church. Well, if you are a Christian, you are the church, and you are part of the church. And so you don't go to church, you are the church. You just assemble with other believers as a church, as a family. But there are people who look at the church as an institution. Uh, for that reason, people uh, act like and talk about it in that way. Some people see the church as kind of a nonprofit organization or business in our modern time, and, and it certainly is nonprofit. We're not here to make money, we're not here to enrich ourselves, but at the same time, we are more than that. There are a lot of nonprofit entities out there, and they certainly are not a church. But a lot of people view a church in that respect, and, and, uh, and then others see the church as just simply a place, uh, a source, or maybe even a resource uh, for getting help, shelter uh, from the world, and so forth. So people have all kinds of different views about the church. They even look at the building as the church. You know, people drive by and say, well, look at that big church. Well, the building's got nothing to do with the church and its size. It has nothing to do with the church, period. It's just a place where we come together and worship God. It's a wonderful house if you will for which the church can gather 
it, just like your family gathers in your house, in your home, but, but that house is not your family, and this, is not, this building is not the church. But again, a lot of people see it that way, so people have a different view of the church. But what Paul is trying to do with the Corinthians is to get them to see the church from God's perspective. And I think that's probably necessary and, and more needed today than ever before, that we look at the church from God's perspective. What does God think of his church? So let's begin in, in chapter 1, I mean in chapter 3 rather, of 1 Corinthians, and uh, beginning in verse 4 and looking through verse 17. And this picks up a theme that Paul had already mentioned in the first chapter uh, in verse 12 and uh, begins to talk about the ways in which God sees the church and how we ought to see the church. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4, For whenever someone says, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, are you not merely human? What is Apollos, really? Or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe in each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants counts for anything or the one who waters, but God who causes the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters works as one, but each will receive his reward according to his work. We are co-workers belonging to God. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, but someone else builds on it. And each one must be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen, for the day will make it clear, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what kind of work each has done. If what someone has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, which is what you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As we examine it more closely, I pray it will be your Holy Spirit who will be our teacher and our guide. And Lord, that you give us wisdom and insight and understanding as we look at this passage together. So that, Lord, we might see the church as you see it and we might work with the church and in the church as you would have us to do. So that, Lord, when it's all said and done, not only will you be pleased and glorified and your work accomplished as you desire, but, Lord, also we will reap the reward of having been co-laborers together with you. So, Lord, would you do your great work in this place tonight if there happens to be someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior, that today they would come to faith in Christ, they would believe and receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. But, Lord, if there's someone here who's a believer who has a, a struggle in their life going on, perhaps they're dealing with the difficulties of allowing you to be Lord in every area of their life, then, Lord, would you speak today to the, that heart, that life, and to all of us, Lord, to reveal to us what it is you would have us to hear from you 
and what we need to do in our life to please you in your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture for just a few moments, we won't have time to go into too deep uh, detail. Actually, I could have broke this up into probably three sermons, thought about it, but I want it to stay connected because I want you to be able to see how these are connected. And, and the fact that the church belongs to God, God sees us in different ways. And so the first thing we find out is that God looks at us like a garden. You see, the church is the garden of God. How do I know that? Because Paul talked about sowing, planting. He talked about watering. And he talked about growth. And we're talking about a garden. We're talking about God wanting something to be planted and something to be watered and something to grow. And that sounds very much like a garden to me. In fact, God loves gardens. We know the, one of the first things he made was a garden called Eden. And in that garden, he placed Adam and Eve. And in that garden, he gave them responsibilities. Did you know work is not the uh, punishment for the fall? See, God gave them work to do before there was ever a fall, before there was ever sin. God gave mankind responsibility with his creation, and he gave him responsibilities with the animals. He gave him responsibilities with the garden to look over it. So God planted a garden, and he intended for there to be co-laborers with him, people who would work and, and, and tend his garden, this place of beauty, this place of provision, this place of communion. That garden was supposed to be a place where food was readily available. They didn't even have to work for it. It was just there. It was hanging there. Fruit there, uh, vegetables there, uh, you name it. Whatever it was, God had said he'd give everything that had seed in it that was green uh, for food. And, and so basically when you walked through the Garden of Eden, you was walking through Kroger in the salad section, in the garden section, the, the, the fruit section, and just being able to grab hold of whatever you wanted and eat, there was no work involved other than perhaps untwining something or doing something, whatever it was, but the work was minimal, but there was things to be done. But it was a place of beauty. But the main thing about the Garden of Eden is God walked with them and talked with them every day. Now, I just want you to imagine what that was like, but that was what God intended that garden to be, a place where the provisions they needed for food was there, but also where they would fellowship with him folks that's what god wants the church to be god wants the church to be a place where people can find jesus and when they find jesus they find all that they need to grow so they can grow in the grace and knowledge of the lord jesus where there are people there to come alongside and help them to grow where there's not just planting going on but there's watering going on but all of that to say so god can give the increase the church isn't doing planting and there's not going to be much watering and if the church isn't doing much watering, there's not going to be much growing. What God wants is fruitfulness. He wants to see his garden do well. The church is very much like the Garden of Eden. It's also like the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember one of Jesus' favorite places and the place, the last place he went to before he was arrested was this place on the Mount of Olives called the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm going to tell you something. Olive trees aren't beautiful trees. There's nothing really pretty about an olive tree. I mean, they're ugly, gnarly thorny looking things and if you've ever seen olive trees they're they're just not something you just gravitate to but apparently jesus was gravitated to to a, a garden that had olive trees perhaps had some other things as well but jesus was attracted to this garden why because again it was a place where he could get away with his disciples and commune with them it was a place of rest it was a place of prayer but the most important thing about the Garden of Gethsemane was it was a place of surrender. And folks, Jesus wants the church to be the same in that respect as well. 
He wants the church to be a place that it may not be the most beautiful thing, but it's a place where people can find rest for their souls. It's a place where people can find a, 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 a place and a people with whom to pray. It's an opportunity for people, God's people, to be able to surrender themselves to the will of God. See, it was in that garden that Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will. And wouldn't it be great if that's the description of the church today? That God's people in his church would say, not my will, but your will be done. Where we find the rest that God wants for us and the place of prayer that we so desperately need. So the church is God's garden. The place to enjoy the fruits of holiness, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 22. It's a, it's a place to experience the fragrance of Christ, as he mentions in the second letter to Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 15. It's a place to express the flowering of righteousness that supposedly as, as we support each other and pray for each other and work alongside each other, encouraging each other, that we pursue that path of righteousness that God intends so we become more and more like Christ and we're accomplishing what God wants in our life and he's accomplishing what he wants in our life. But it's also a place just to enjoy the freshness of worship. A fresh and new encounter with God every time we meet together. See, that's the thing I think is most lacking today in church. Is it's just that fresh encounter we need together. We ought to have fresh encounters with the Lord as individuals. And we need to have that private worship. But much of worship in the Bible centers on us coming together and having that opportunity where Jesus said, where two or more gathered in my name, there I'm going to be. And there just to enjoy the presence of Jesus. Now again, the church, God sees it like a garden. He has a design for that garden. Just like in the Garden of Eden and, and other gardens, there's work to be done. There's that, as I said, there's that planting. That's the preparation that needs to be done. You've got to plow, you've got to plant. There's cultivation, there's watering that needs to be done, there's weeding that needs to be done, there's things that have to be done so that God's uh, people will be able to be fruitful. There's things we need to weed out of our life. You remember what Jesus told about the Word of God being sown and for those lives that are choked with weeds or thorny or, or rocky or whatever, it, the same seed that was producing uh, fruit in one person's life couldn't hardly do anything in another person's life because they're choked with weeds. So there needs to be some weeding going on in God's people's lives as part of the work of a garden and that's the design that he has that there be some preparation there be some cultivation there be some germination there should be some growth there should be some fruitfulness in this church and in our lives and you remember it was Jesus who when he didn't find fruit well he cursed a tree it's the only time we know he did something negative but he he cursed a fig tree because it wasn't laden with figs when he went to look for it and we know that the Lord tells us that those limbs that aren't bearing fruit, when Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he said, for those branches that are not bearing fruit, I cut them off. He intends for us to experience growth. So that's some of the work that needs to be done. That's the design that he has for his garden. And there's workers that need to work in his garden. In fact, it's interesting in this passage of Scripture, when it talks about the workers, he uses the Greek word diakonai which is basically the same word you get for deacon. It's the same word that means literally to serve. And that's what we need in the church. We need 
people who are willing to serve the Lord, serve one another, do the work that has to be done. There's workers. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he might thrust into the harvest laborers, servants, workers. And again, the church today needs to see itself as a garden which the Lord designed it that there's work to be done and there's workers that need to work. People that God has assigned certain skills. That's what he says here in verse 5. He says, what is Apollos really or Paul? Servants you came to believe each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. In other words, they didn't take this on. God called them to it. But God especially equipped them for different kinds of work. So there's work that Paul was doing. He's planting. There's work that Apollos is doing. He's able to do the watering. He's able to come along and do things that Paul wasn't doing. But in the end, it was so that God could give the increase. And folks... Again, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you at least a gift, if not gifts, to be utilized for His kingdom and for His glory and in the church. And we're to use those. So we're to use our skills, and we're to use the strength that God gave us because ultimately what we're doing is work that only God can do through us. That only... If, if there's anything to be done, it will be because God does it through us. Let's move on. So God is seeing the church as a garden. And ultimately, he is the owner of the garden. So if he has dissatisfaction with the garden, it's because of barrenness, because there's no fruit, there's no growth, and bitterness. Nothing worse in the garden than bitterness, bitter weeds, uh, some of you probably grew up with dairy cows. Not very pleasant if they ate bitterweed. Something happened to the taste of that milk. It, it wasn't very good. And so, uh, you know, if you have bitterness in the church, if you have worker problems, which is what was going on in the Corinthian church, you had people that were jealous and having dissensions and fightings, uh, then you got watering problems because people aren't doing the jobs they're supposed to be doing. And then you, you got weed problems because out of the result of not being the church you're supposed to be, not being the garden that God wants you to be, then what happens is the weeds grow in the church. And that just further chokes out the, the work of the Lord. Well, let's move on. He sees the church as the garden. He also sees the church as God's building. Notice Paul puts it together in verse 9. You are God's field, that is, you're God's garden, but you're also God's building. Now, we know from other passages of Scripture, Paul talks about this. And uh, also, it's found in other uh, places in the New Testament. Peter talks about us being living stones, being placed into place by God so that God is building what he wants to build. Know that this, God is building his church. Jesus said, I build my church. You and I are co-laborers. We have our part to play. But ultimately, it's God who builds the church. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, God says, hey, you're not just my garden. You're my building, and I'm building something, and I need you'd understand that this building is owned by me and should be made of costly materials. When the temple was made for the Lord by Solomon, Solomon didn't say, let's see how cheaply we can make this temple. <laughs> we're going to cut some costs. We're going to make sure that we got something sturdy, but, but we're not going to get too much into what it looks like and how much and what kind of material is used. No, Solomon... Solomon went after everything. When you begin to read, this is just the same way with the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle made out of? Was it made out of cheap stuff? No, it was made out of gold and silver and brass. And, and God 
made sure that that tabernacle built according to the pattern that he'd given Moses was exactly what it should be. And it was made out of costly material. Why? Because the plan of redemption is costly and would be costly to God. And it was a picture of what God was doing. So the temple was the same way. Solomon built this temple for the Lord. It was an incredible building made of costly material. Well, see, you and I are God's building, and God intends for the church to be built out of costly material. And I'm not talking about a building, because Jesus said, we're the building. You and I are the building that God is building. The church is the building. And its foundation, as Paul said, is Jesus. Jesus is the foundation, the real and true foundation of the church. Now, we might start a church, we might work in a church, and, and, and initially a church will lay some foundational things down. Paul, when he went to city after city, town after town, village after village, when he would speak and preach the gospel and people were saved, well, he was laying a foundation for a church to be birthed. But he never thought he was building it on him. He was always building that church on Jesus. And so the church today must continue to build on that same foundation. And Paul called himself the master builder. Now, the Greek word there is architecton, which you probably could hear the word architect. So as you look at this word, Paul says master builder because the Lord had laid out the design because it's his building. But Paul has been given the plans, and Jesus said, you go to work, and he did as a master builder. The church today needs people who are willing to listen to the word of God and become master builders in the kingdom of God. Called by God, equipped by God, skilled by God, laying the work that needs to be done. We need people who are willing to do that. We need the builders. We need the people who will work in God's church and build on it. Notice what he says, and each one must be careful how he builds. And then he goes on in verse 12, say, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen the day that is the judgment seat of Christ is going to reveal what we have done and what kind of material we use to labor in the building of God in his church, the building of God's church. You see that gold and silver and precious stones, those are the things that were done by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and for the Lord. And the motivations were right, and the work was right because it was God working through us. Those things are going to last. Those things that we did of ourselves, by ourselves, in the flesh, for self, selfish motives, or for any other motive other than what it should have been, that's going to be hay, wood, and stubble. That's going to disappear. So many people today are laboring in the church, and they're getting the approval of people. But the Lord's going to reveal in the day what it was all about, what our work was about, and who it was for, and who was doing the work in our life. See, there's going to be that inspection, that, that judgment. Just like any builder today, you have an architect, you have workers, the buildings, building on a foundation. But ultimately, there's going to be the inspection, and that is the judgment to determine whether what we did survives and there's reward, or whether what we did disappears. And I love the way Paul said this. I've always talked with this about people. He himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So I've told you before, there are going to be some people in heaven that's going to smell like smoke. You're going to probably go by them in heaven and say, you've been smoking? 
Oh, I just barely got here. I literally came through the fire. Everything else disappeared. Is that the way you want to face the Lord in judgment? Is that the way you want to walk in heaven is to have somebody say, you've been around smoke. You know, I've helped out cooking outside with some of the, uh, in the past with some of the cookies that have gone on. I get home, the first thing Suzanne says, you smell like smoke. I don't think anybody here tonight wants to smell like smoke in heaven. I don't think any of us want to be saved as through the fire. I think most of us want to be able to go into heaven with the things, the labor that we have put into the work of God and his kingdom. We want that to survive. Well, that means it has to be done the right way. That's why Paul said you better be careful how you're building. You better be careful with what materials you're using. You need to be using the materials of God and not of yourself. Let's move on. He says we're God's building. And then lastly, he says we're God's temple. Look at verse 16 again. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And then he goes on to say this. And that God's spirit lives in you. You see, the other way that God looks at the church is he looks at an entity, a being, a living body of, of himself. That's why we call the body of Christ. And dwelling in that body is the Spirit of God in the life of every believer. And I need you to think about what that means because Paul would later talk to this church and other uh, churches about the fact that their body was not just a physical entity separate from their spirit. You know, the Greeks believed that the flesh and the spirit, the two never came together, and so it didn't matter what you did with the body, only the spirit mattered. And that heresy began to spread in the church. In fact, it had spread in this church, as we're going to see later. Paul is saying, no, your body, your physical body, is a temple because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And corporately, as a as Christians, the church is the temple. This building is not a temple. We don't build temples. We don't have temples where God dwells. God doesn't dwell in buildings. He dwells in us. What we do with our bodies matters. It matters in terms of morality. Paul says if you join yourself to a prostitute, you have taken the Lord with you into that relationship. And there's judgment for that. And if you abuse your body, if you do things that are hurtful and harmful to your body, judgment will fall upon that as well because your body is to be a temple of the Lord. It's to be kept sacred, it's to be kept holy, it's to be kept pure, it's to be kept in a way so that you can function as God wants you to function in His kingdom. Because God dwells in you. And so... Paul defines the temple as both the church and then later on in chapter 6, verse 19, as the individual. Look over there for a moment. We'll look at that later, but look at chapter 6, verse 19 for a moment while we're there. And he talks about, um, uh, well, let's look at beginning in verse 16. Or do you not know that anyone who's united with a prostitute is one body with her? For it is said... Two will become one flesh, but the one united with the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. Here in the passage we're looking at in chapter 3, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For his temple is holy. Quick history here. About out of time to give you a quick history here. So what happened when God's people profaned the first temple, Solomon's temple? You see that people were beginning to bring things into the temple that should not be in the temple. They were doing things they should not be doing in the temple. You can read this in the book of Ezekiel where God takes Ezekiel by vision from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem and takes him into the temple where he can see in the secret most innermost parts of the temple where vile idolatry and immorality was taking place within the temple what happened to that temple God's glory departed and the temple was destroyed fast forward to the time of Jesus Jesus comes the first time of his earthly ministry and there are people selling things and doing things in the place that should be a prayer place of prayer for Gentiles what does Jesus do does he say, now you guys shouldn't be doing this. He snatches cords, he gets whatever it is, he starts throwing over tables, he starts chasing people with whips, and he drives them out and says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. They were defiling it. The last time Jesus came to the temple, the third year of his ministry, right before he was crucified, he came back to Jerusalem, and they had started it back, and Jesus did the exact same thing. He threw them all out. But ultimately what happened was they rejected Jesus and they crucified the Lord and judgment fell on that temple. And folks, God will bring judgment on any temple that belongs to him that is not treated correctly. And that means our body. And folks, that also means the church, not the building but the church. See, God sees the church differently than we see it. He looks at us as a garden in which there's work to be done and workers to be used and where there should be growth and where there should be fruitfulness. But he also looks at us as a building where there should also, again, be workers and laborers to do what needs to be done so the building is built the right way with the right material. But he sees us as a temple, a place where he dwells. And I don't know if you really grasp all this or not, but, but you have to think about what it is that the God who made the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence like we looked at in Genesis chapter 1 this morning, the God who can do all things and is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, this God chooses now to dwell in every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so everywhere you go and whatever you do, as a believer, the Holy Spirit is with you. So if you choose to do wrong and you choose to engage in things with your body that is wrong, God brings judgment upon that. You know, the Bible tells us, and again, it will also be later on here in this same letter where the uh, believers were abusing the Lord's Supper, and they were doing it in such a way that Paul said, there's many of you who have gotten sick, 
and some of you have died. And you know why? Because they were abusing the temple. God tells us, treat your body the way it should be because if you're a believer, he's dwelling in you. And whatever you do, he's, you're making him a part of it. I have to tell you this because I've said it before, but there was a time in my life when I walked away from the church and walked away from the Lord. I knew I was a Christian. I knew the Lord was with me. And I went to some places that I shouldn't have gone to, and I can still remember to this day the thought in my head, Lord, don't come back right now. Please don't take me back out. Of, don't take me out of this place. <laughs> I don't want to meet you having been here. And you know, the sad part of that, as I look back on it, I was taking the Lord right there with me. He wasn't leaving me. He didn't say, now hang around outside while you go. No, he, he went right in there with me. And there my mind was thinking, it's not good. My prayer is that we'll look at the church, and that means looking at us, ourselves, the way God sees it. He looks at you at a gar as a garden. He looks at you like a building. He looks at you like a temple. And the fact that God would take sinful people who are not perfect, earthen jars of clay, as the Jeremiah would say, and yet choose to make us his dwelling. I never cease to be amazed at that. I never cease to be amazed at how God sees us and, and what he does in and through us but he chooses to use us as co-laborers as workers and he wants us to be laboring in his garden he wants us to be working on his building and he wants us as the temple to be holy and set apart for him again all three have the same thing we belong to god we are god god's garden we are god's building and we are god's Paul said it well when he said, you are no longer belonging to yourself. You no longer belong to just you. You have been bought with a price. And you belong to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage. And Lord, as we examine how you see us and Lord, as your Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write to this church and remind them that they were indeed a garden that needed to be planted and watered and cultivated, but, but ultimately, Lord, it was your garden, so it would be you who would give the increase. It would be you who would work. There just needed to be those who would say, yes, I want to work in the garden. I want to be a co-laborer. I want to serve the gardener but Lord you've also said we're a building and I pray that we will see ourselves as the workers you have summoned to yourself to go and work and build that which you want us to build and Lord not just to use any material but to use the material that you provide in and through us as we submit to you and as we allow you to work in and through us by the work of your Holy Spirit so that what we do will last and bring a reward. But Lord, how wonderful it is that even as you see us as a temple, you see us as your dwelling place.
Lord, I can't fathom that. I don't understand that. But, Lord, I just want to stand here tonight and thank you that you're willing to be ever-present. You keep your promise. You never leave us nor forsake us. But, Lord, that we cannot deal with our bodies the way we want. It must be according to your word. It must be that which is right and pleasing to you and, and that which will take care of our bodies. So, Lord, would you speak to our hearts, and tonight would we make the decisions and the commitments that, Lord, will allow us to be what you want us to be and how you see us as your garden, as your buildings, and as your temple. So that, Lord, that day comes and we stand before you. Lord, we will receive that which faithful workers receive and not lose our reward. Now, Lord, have your will and your way in this time of invitation. Speak so that we might respond to you in faith and obedience. Have your will, your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.